Alice, welcome to the Learning and Development podcast. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. It's a it's a strange and worrying time at the moment, and it's not my intention to discuss medical matters, but it would be remiss of me if I didn't ask how you're doing and how you're adapting both personally and professionally to the current situation. Yeah, it's definitely a really uncertain time. Um, and I'm definitely feeling anxious, just like I think many other people are. And I think for me, it's just not knowing how long this is going to last. Mm. Um you know, I think I'm in a really, really lucky position because I'm still a part of a, a company that is it's easy to work remotely. We're used to doing it. So it's been quite easy for us to kind of slip into this way of working. Mm. Um, I, I think the hardest thing for me is not being able to go into the office, even if I wanted to, um, because, you know, I like having that social element. I love seeing people there and talking to people. So we've just been having lots of remote hangouts and, and speaking to people like I'm doing that more than I ever have before um, mm. over Hangout and on the phone and things. Um, it, professionally, I, I think it's an incredible opportunity for, for, for us in this profession because I think starting to embrace digital uh, resources as a learning tool rather than relying on face-to-face training. And we've just kind of been forced into this situation now where you have to rely on these uh, digital mm. resources. So um, I'm kind of using it as a bit of an opportunity. And as you know, we've been running a sprint this week to get uh, our first fully remote onboarding um, up and running by Monday. Mm -hmm. So we've pulled it together in a week and been working with a team to do that. And yeah, I think it's just, I'm definitely seizing the moment and using it to help people to to embrace using digital to help solve the challenges that people are having right now. Stuff like, you know, you're coming into a company probably anxious already but now you're not even walking through the front door you're you're still mm-hmm. at home so it's helping to to ease those worries um so yeah i'm in a really lucky and privileged position but i know many people aren't, aren't in the same position as mm-hmm. me yeah and uh, and to acknowledge that that um there are going to be plenty of people listening to this whose operation has had to be suspended because they rely so much on um the, the physical contact with uh, with with the outside world and and with customers so i know that what we'll be talking about is perhaps different there but i think that uh, the 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 shifts that you're making and that you've touched on there already are going to um, be relevant to a lot of people in the uh, in the coming weeks and months, and I'd like to to explore that with you a, a, a bit further, Alice, because um, in my experience and uh, and and hearing from and discussing this with people for a long time, there has been this um, I'd say like this over reliance and maybe overestimation of the face to face element when it comes to L and D. And I'll give you one example. Um, we, I think we've all known of organizations or worked in organizations where we've flown new starters over to global headquarters uh, so that they can have an experience and, and perhaps an experience that we've not really crafted, but we've hoped would deliver us some results that may include they feel they get a sense of the culture and how things are done and we increase engagement. But I think that what what we're going through right now and, and, and the first thing that comes to my mind when, when, when you described uh, looking at induction is that we have to be a bit more thoughtful about what it is that we're trying to do and also more purposeful in the way that we do that to get those results especially you're bringing new people on and they can't role model from people They're you know they might be like us right now sitting on their own in like in a spare bedroom uh, or or in their living room uh, and not being able to watch what are the the expected and rewarded behaviors so it really does throw the cards up 
as far as L&D is concerned, but, but there's a huge opportunity there for us. And I'd love to, to explore that with you to, to understand how your L&D focus and practice has adapted or is adapting um, in, in, in this context, perhaps in relation to, to the induction sprint that you just, you just mentioned. Yeah, sure. I, I think it's about, um, I mean, I think all of those elements that you talk about are really important and we shouldn't be losing them. So mm. it's things about understanding what the culture is, understanding what it means to be a part of this business. And there's a lot of dangers that come from not being in the office. So it's stuff like you're not having those kind of water cooler conversations or in walking past someone and saying, oh, hold on, you know, I'm brand new, we should meet and we should chat. Mm. I think you have to do, you have to be a lot more conscious about organizing the one-to-one hangouts and things like that to help people to meet the people that they should be um, having contact with. Mm. Um, So I think for us, it was just thinking, taking a step back and thinking about the the journey that people are are on joining the business and Mm. being a bit more considered about that. And that's something I think we, I've been trying to embrace for a while thinking about the journey of a new starter, but it's helping people around me that are all involved with induction and saying, um, let's take a step back. Let's think about what people want to know in week one. Um, Mm. and then that's enabling us to get an MVP out in one week. Um, so I've been working with people all over the business to help to build this up. So that's people in the risk team, writing team, knowledge management, tech ops, and we all come together in this squad and just thought about what, uh, what kind of questions will people have and challenges mm. in the first week um and, and and to kind of so that can be covered i think in a lot of the digital resources but then to keep that human connection um we've organized some some hangouts with influential people in the business and it, i think it's very easy to just say let's take your two-day um induction and, and we'll sit online and sit in the hangout for two days and just yeah. speak to someone and, and have all the same information but it's actually the hangouts we're using for 40 45 minutes with um you know we've got our diversity lead we've got a q a with our ceo um and it's it's sitting in front of those people to really grab the essence of what monzo is all about and mm. and meeting those influential people so that's what we're using those hangouts for and then everything else um, we can do digitally because it's, you know, how do I get paid? Um, how do I connect remotely with people? How do I get started using my tech? These are things that people need to know, but they can explore in their own time. So mm. I think it's just un- putting yourself in the shoes of, of the learner or the new starter and helping to put them at ease. Um, so you're not losing what you would have had face to face. You're just kind of thinking about it in a slightly different way. Hmm. I think that's absolutely key to it. When you consider this from the uh, from the employee's perspective, what you, you mentioned there, their journey. Uh, Danny Seals would call that their experience. They're already having yeah. a journey. They're already having an experience, and yeah. they're trying to get the right stuff done. So, what is it that we can do in order to ensure that they have the right information at hand when it's needed, not just deliver it when we've got them? We've got them for yeah. two days. Brilliant. Let's tell them everything <laughs> they everything we need to tell them because that yeah. in in itself that's a broadcast exercise. That's not uh, an equipping exercise. That's not helping them in the context of what it is they're trying to do. That's trying to make the best use of the time. I love the way you're, 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 you're looking at this already. I mean, we're days into to this isolation and already thinking about what is the most appropriate way in which we can help these people to do what they're trying to do and also give them perhaps what they don't know that they need. And you're and really opening this up. I lo- and I love that what you've just said there, that you're not trying to replicate the old way. You really are looking at 
thinking, what what is it that we need to do in this context? And I and I don't think you'll be throwing this away afterwards either. It no. seems as if you're creating you're creating something that will have that will have legs and then looking and questioning, you know, do like do we need to go to an old way because it's more convenient? Or do we build on 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 this new way? Mm-hmm. And I would hope that we will continue to build on it. I think we've mm. had incredible feedback so far. And um, because we've been working in a sprint, we've been creating, um, you know, we're treating it like a product. So we've been releasing mm. things gradually out in, and people have been testing them. And we've had incredible feedback. And it's people have been saying, oh, you know, I've been wanting to do this for ages, um, mm. but just not knowing how they how they could get started. And especially with things like getting started with your technology, we've um you know previous to this we've had two hours that you sit with the tech team and you go through everything and then you're kind of like okay off you go and it's Mm. and then you know some people have never used a macbook before some people have never used slack which is how we communicate internally so you know and then they don't start their work for a a day to two days later and then Mm. suddenly they're sat in front of their computer and think i don't even know how to get started so It's just being able to pick up on those things. You've just described L&D in a microcosm, like (laughs) like with a Mac. Come and sit with us for a day or two days. You know, let's have a conversation. Then off you go. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, and and the people will struggle with that. So it's just, how can we use digital to say, okay, so, uh, you know, a couple of days later, we'll ping out a resource to you that says, Mm. oh, here's a a Slack 101 or, um, you know, here's, here's how you, here's our internal tooling and how you get started. So just, considering it a little bit differently. So and much more of a campaign approach and not a campaign in marketing as in um, we're, we're going to drip feed you information over a period of time, which is content first. You're looking at this. This is the person. So what is it that the person needs and when do we anticipate or we don't want to um, spoil my question, next question too much. So we won't talk about data too much. Um, but how do we use the data to ensure that we get as close to the point of need as required and then provide the information? So you're guiding and supporting them to actually do the things that they're trying to do when they're trying to do it, not just mm-hmm. opening the floodgates to give them information and then selling yeah. them content, content, content down further down the line. Yeah. And actually that was a challenge during this. It was because I think if you're so attached to something that you've done for so long and it's, um, you know, okay, well, and I said to people, what do, what do your new starters want to know? Um, and they said, okay, well, we go through this in the session and it's like, okay, well, that's what, <laughs> <laughs> that's what you want to tell them, but what mm. do they need to know? So it's, yeah. it's that mind shift. Um, and, and I think we were really lucky because, um, before this we had, I, we've done some research with recent new starters and asked them questions. So what challenges did you have? Um, Mm. What problems were you experiencing? Because we were working towards creating this, but it was just like, we've already got that data set. So we could could merge that with, this is the information we we need you to know. And this is what you need, what you're telling us you want to know and just merging the two. Well, brings me nicely to to that next question on data then. Um, So because at Monzo, uh, it strikes me that you're challenging established L&D norms and practices, but with a clear vision to do the things that will really matter to both Monzo and as we've discussed to to its people. You're doing this by starting with data. Um, You've already lifted the lid and given us a a little peek in, but could you share with us maybe your broader approach on on how you you use data? Yeah. Um, So... I guess to give you some context, what's really interesting about um, the makeup of our team at Monzo is that we're part of the people product uh, squad. Mm-hmm. So that means that we have um, kind of access to engineers and to data analysts. They're, they're right there. 
Um, so, you know, that is an incredible um, benefit for us because we're able to think in an engineering mindset. Um, and it, it's teaching us that every time that you are in approach to build something or you identify a need, it's asking the right questions at the very beginning. So having a very uh, clear idea of what you're trying to impact and how you're going to measure that, that, that should be the very first thing mm. that you explore. Um, and you know, engineers wouldn't work on something unless they knew what impact they were going to have and why they need it for the users. So it's, it's thinking in, in that way. Um, so, and uh, so for us, I think it's just making sure we're aware of that data set before we even start. Um, and something else that we've done as well um, to help us to understand the right things to work on is that we've got, a really, uh, we've established a really clear set of deliverables um, for 2020 that align with the overall business goals. Um, and everything that we do, we uh, we prioritize against those deliverables. So we know what we're trying to impact. Um, and then we know what things we need to work on in order to make that happen. And then individually for those things, we understand how we're measuring that impact. So it's just all about asking the right questions at the start. Mm. And yeah, and if you start with what what is the impact that you're trying to make, then not only do you know that you have made the difference that you required, but it's useful because you have milestones as well. It mm. is to what extent are you making progress towards uh, the the required impact? It's you know the the, the question always comes with uh, with whether it's uh, resources, whether it's uh, learning at the point of, uh, of work um, or user-centric approaches. It all comes down to people asking, well, you know, what's the ROI? What's this? And I always come back to, no, 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 no. This isn't, this isn't like training. This isn't like uh, looking afterwards and thinking, now, did we make a difference? This is right at the outset. What, what is the difference that we, are, that we are seeking to make? And then getting the data to see that whether there is a problem and what the problem actually is. So there is either a critical point of failure in the operation or something that needs significant improvement. Then, so that's the data element. There's the evidence uh, part, which is how is this currently being experienced by people? Because it is, after all, those people that we're seeking to influence to move the needle. And then once you've got the data and evidence based start which is what needs working on and um, what impacts we're trying to make it is how do we run an experiment in order to move the needle it's not like going all in with with big programs getting everybody through over a two-year period or um, uh, developing a, a slideshow to garner support across a stakeholder group because we want to make heavy investment in a platform that will be launched across the organization it's all about making um what what is it in, in the book essentialism there's a lovely phrase about um uh, making uh, minimum valuable progress and i always love yeah. that it's, it's like you cuz like it, it means that you're moving in the right direction but you're doing as little as you can in order to do that and i just think that in you know it's 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 efficiency beyond what l&d have uh, have been used to when efficiency is mm. usually meant you know cutting cutting the number of courses that we uh, that we run or uh, reducing the spend on uh, on on training delivery you know so it's about the the uh, the reduction in um in inputs but this is much more around um efficiency uh, to get to get the right outputs yeah exactly and i think if you want to you know i think there is a pressure working in an organization like monzo um to you want to speak the same language as everyone else does. And mm. we, when we all gather together as a business and we share what we've been working on, 
I, I don't think it would fly if we stood up and said, oh, no, we thought you might have liked this. So we, we put this stuff out there and this many of you have looked at it and you say you like it. So I think it just it wouldn't it wouldn't fly. So I think, you know, we want to be able to stand up and say, we spoke to you. You told us that you needed this help and support in, in a certain area. Um, we, we gathered the data um, to understand like how you're feeling about this right now. And the data could even, it, you know, it could even be that we, we don't have this. this mm. And the data could just be like, you needed this. So we, we, we put it together and now it's reached this many managers or, or whoever yeah. the target audience is that you're looking at. Um, uh, but yeah, I just think if we need to be able to stand up and say, We've identified this need. We understand. We understand how this impacts the overall business goals and objectives. Mm. Uh, we created this solution. Um, this is the impact that we're having. But it doesn't have to be like this is going to solve everything. I think no. it's just showing the progress and, and like you say, uh, minimum valuable progress. Um, and I think you'll get so much more respect that way if you kind of you start small with the small launches and how we're making small progress. Mm. Get people to believe in you. Get people to trust that you're here to support their real challenges and prove that with the data that you have, because mm. you've already done that research at the start. Now, so much of what you said there is counter to traditional practice. You know, there's the, um, the, the word experimentation wasn't really in the, uh, the, the L&D vernacular uh, until mm. very recently. It was more about a pilot. And of course, the pilot is validation of what uh, an investment that's already been made in training or uh, e-learning or a system. Uh, so it's, it's not as if we're going to backtrack after that. We're going to tweak <laughs> that experimentation <laughs> can be lighter. So it does fly in the face of perhaps of uh, traditional L&D. But, but Alice, you've been a champion of challenging the status quo in L&D for quite some time, especially with regards to digital's application to L&D. Could you let us into some of your guiding principles? Mm -hmm. um, so I think for me, it's about um, mirroring, mirroring the way that people learn in real life as much as possible. Um, so I think it's, it's not just um, sticking to the same things that we've done the whole time. It's, you know, thinking about how we can grow and evolve and mm. uh, understand the way that people behave and learn in real life and it's it's using that um and i always try and help people see the difference by and i stole this from you david is asking people what they did last time that um they had a challenge at work mm. so and and i kind of i always use that um just to be like you know we're we're experimenting with this stuff because this is how you do things in real life um mm. so that's one of my kind of guiding principles um and i think the other thing is don't think just because you're at work, you have to take yourself out of the workflow to learn. Like, mm. um, I think it's just people believe that you need to do that because that's how it's always been done, but it's mm. not how you work in real life. If you needed to fix something at home, you wouldn't stop for three days to go and become an expert in it and then come back. You would use something on demand to help you to do that. So mm. it's tapping into that kind of stuff. Um, and I think, I think linking back to what we were saying earlier about the small wins. So, you know, start small, um, earn your trust in an organization. It's not about the big launches or having mm. a big shiny finished product. Um, work on the right things and prove your value um, with, with the small wins. And I know that can be really hard, especially if you, you know you walk into a business and you think, I know how I can improve this. And you just want everything to change. But mm. it's, I think it's just taking a step back and, and earning that trust gradually. Um, mm understand your learner do your research um mm. i think understand the real challenges that people are experiencing never make assumptions yeah. um 
listen to them and understand what their blockers are. And I think the last thing is convince people by showing them. So mm. yeah, I think just show people that you're having an impact and put things in front of them. And like we were saying earlier with your data. And could you give us an example of how this is manifest in your work, your principles of manifest? So um, you mentioned there about induction uh, and painting a picture about a campaign approach with resources, um, not replacing face to face, but but guiding to people uh, people as as and when they need it. But can you give us examples of uh, of other things that you've worked on that uh, uh, perhaps uh, Monzo or ASOS um, that reflect your uh, your principles? Um. Yeah, so we, I mean, we're just kind of getting started with this at, at Monzo. Um, so the onboarding thing is the first thing that we worked on, but we did do that over at, um, at ASOS, and we the, it was a bit, um, it was kind of the first big project that we worked on at ASOS, and we created an onboarding journey that took you from the day that you accepted your role all the way up to the end of your three month probation. Um, mm. So it was uh, your pre-boarding content, um, and we spoke to recent new starters to find out what questions they had, and it, and you know it told you things like um, once you're here after your first week, um, how do you get yourself known in the business, and then uh, towards the end of your three month probation, how do you um, prepare for your probation meeting? So it just enabling people to hit the ground running. Um, we took that in at ASOS into management training, so. We did a similar thing um, where we spoke to managers and really tried to understand what challenges they were experiencing. Um, there's differences between being a new manager in a business and being an existing manager. I think sometimes we can approach something like management training and think, let's, you know, there's some real common and um, tried and tested management training, I think, mm -hmm. that always gets included in management training programs. But it's just actually taking that time to understand that there are differences and yeah. um, that's kind of designing for performance. So, you know, if you're on your way to a one-to-one -one and you're going to have a difficult conversation with someone, do you want to be able to jump on and get some top tips and help yourself to prepare for that? You wouldn't want to do that training three months ago and mm. then have that kind of knowledge just trail off. So um, that's how it's kind of manifested in, um, in previous roles. And I'm looking forward to using it um, over at, at Monzo as well. And it's what uh, Gottfriedson and Moshe uh, call yes. designing for the moment of apply. So what yeah. is it that people are trying to do and then working backwards? Uh, and I was fortunate enough to uh, to be involved in some of that work that you were describing there at ASOS. And it always surprises yeah. me on both sides. Number one, the the situations, questions and challenges that people actually had in the context of their day to day. When we were running those sessions, I remember speaking with, uh, with you and Adam and then thinking, you know, and having the conversations of we'd never have guessed. We would ne not only would we never have guessed that that was the problem that they were facing, that would never have been in any training in a million years. And then they, when we were doing the videos uh, and asking experienced um, news, well, um, recently uh, join new starters and uh, the, um, the experienced managers asking them those questions to get their answers. You know, every time astonished and thinking that was so rich, that was so powerful, that is gonna that is gonna help so many people because it was grounded in their reality of of uh, of what it meant to work there at ASOS and the challenges yeah. that were facing. It was incredible, wasn't it? Yeah, it re it really was, and I think I think yeah, like you say, you'll never find that out unless you actually speak to people and ask them mm. what it is that they're they're experiencing. And 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 actually, it, when I've done that kind of research at Monzo, the challenges that are arising are very different. Yeah. Um, 
And it's, it's really interesting to hear that. And I think one of the things that came up was um, when people join the business, it's, um, you know, it's, it's really high performing. You're around incredibly talented individuals. So you feel that pressure the second that you walk in. And it's just being able to help people to understand what that means to work in a high performing culture and help yeah. people to ease into that. Um, and that came out, which I thought was really interesting because I think sometimes it, it, I think this process is also quite therapeutic because when you're, it's quite, it's good to run those types of sessions with a group of new starters and they can all mm. talk and you find they're all experiencing similar things. Um, but I think it's quite therapeutic to be sitting in a room with someone and then say, Oh, I felt that pressure as well. Yeah. And then it, it just kind of sparks that conversation. Um, and it's really interesting. And actually then they start to share what they did to compensate for that and that's mm. gold because then you can use that for your resource and hire someone to help you um in that room you can say all right i'm recruiting you now you can come and be my sme for this and uh so it's incredibly useful to have those conversations i'm glad i'm glad you've said that because i for for all the com the uh, organizations I've, I've been doing this in there isn't uh there isn't one organization that's like another uh the yeah. the you, you saying about high performing culture uh, um that there, there are going to be so if that's the top layer that people uh can see and are experiencing there are different layers beneath it that mean that di the dynamic of working there is very different to the dynamic of working anywhere and over top of that that's your your culture your practices your norms the expected and rewarded behaviors once you've got systems and and hierarchies and everything else that make that up you realize every organization is different and i've seen so many people i, I think back to my disney days so many smart people join the organization you meet them for the first time you hear them and you kind of think in two sometimes you, you think so first of all you, you might think a lot positively you might think you'll do well here. Sometimes you walk out of those meetings and you're thinking, oh my God, I, f I feel for you. As in, <laughs> you don't know what is about to hit you. And then yeah. you've got other people where you're kind of thinking, you need to refine an L. If you need to refine that part of you, otherwise this organization is going to eat you up. You know, yeah. because a lot of the time, new starters, and even when you're promoted to, a, to, to new levels where you've got a level of exposure that you didn't have before, where you don't have the cushion of, uh, of a strong uh, manager around you, you've got a level of exposure that again could, could change the dynamic in which you operate. And then you, you, you've, survive thrive or you die like in 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 some organizations it's so so different but if we going back to your point if you make assumptions if you make assumptions rather than truly fully understand the context in which people are trying to perform then a lot of solutions are going to be are going to fall by the wayside they're just not going to hit the mark yeah exactly yeah and i think there's there's also some really um easy things that you can help support people around stuff like using the right language. Um, mm. The way that we talk about things in different organizations, it's, it's like chalk and cheese. They're yeah. coming, I've worked in fashion before and I've gone into FinTech and to get my head around <laughs> the language that you're supposed to use um, was quite difficult. And that's crucially important to people because I think mm. um, sometimes you'll, uh, you'll get, uh, you'll go along to a stand-up or a team meeting and people will be talking about stuff and you don't want to be that person in a room that's asking and thinking, I, I don't understand that. What did that mean? So mm -hmm. I think it's having that kind of like arm around you um, via that, the support that we provide um, through digital resources to go back and just kind of check it out. And we'll only know those moments if we mm -hmm. ask um, our new starters. So it's, it's crucially important.
Now, Alice, if I can play devil's advocate for a moment, uh, yeah. people listening to this may say that ASOS and Monzo are young organisations and that your approach will work for millennials and younger, but that it won't translate to older, older generations. Is this your experience? No way. <laughs> I don't believe <laughs> I was that. I hope you um, say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I think like, I mean, yeah, I have to admit that the we are in a different world these days. Um, you know, we use technology differently. Um, you know, things are more on demand than ever before. Um, and it, it's a different world, but you, know, you, you mentioned Bob Mosher earlier. He's mm. been talking about this stuff since the nineties. This, yeah. this isn't a new concept. Mm. Um, and, and that's before a lot of the people in my organization were even born. So <laughs> <laughs> you can't argue that this is just, it's, it's uh, something just for younger people. I think mm. there's a lot of talk around um, the different learning styles, and that everyone learns in a different way. I, I don't. I don't believe that. I think that mm. it depends what you're trying to learn and what yeah. the the context of the moment is. So you know, if you are like I mentioned earlier, if you're doing some DIY, you'll want to learn something quickly, no matter what generation you're from, to help mm. you to get over that challenge and to move on and get on with your Saturday. And I think it's the same at work. There are challenges that you face every day that everyone will naturally um, ask a colleague um, or Google it. Mm. And, you know, that's just the way that we behave. Um, and I, I don't think that that's different generation to generation. I just think there is a time and a place for classroom training. Um, and that is if you are, um, you know, wanting to, to become a, a, an expert in something or, mm. you know, that then, yeah, there'll be a time for you to go along to and uh, sit in a classroom. But yeah, I, I don't think it's a generational difference. I think it's, it's a, a moment of need um, difference that mm. depends on what type of learning you should be going to. Yeah, I mean... I'll, I'll reiterate it again. I'm glad. I'm. De I am glad you said that because in my experience, it's, it has been the same. Uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, people uh, will come at situations and challenges from their own direction, with their own filters, with their own experience, and with the opportunities and resources that they have uh, at their disposal and within them, and including uh, support networks. They'll. They'll become competent and confident at their own time with their own experiences. But but I'm with you. The closer that you can guide and support them in the context of the work, the greater chance you've got of, first of all, engaging them because no one's interested in stuff where they don't see the um, the, the benefit for, for them. Uh, but also you've got the opportunity to affect the work in itself. And it isn't just a case of a lot of the time that somebody has a challenge, they read a resource and now they are brilliant at it. It's exactly the same. I always say that uh, that resources don't replace anything except fumbling along and inefficiently trying to solve the same problems that have already been solved hundreds, if not thousands of times inside your organization. Because it's a myth that people have been learning everything they've needed to learn from courses previous to resources. Most people don't go on courses. You know, that a lot of people didn't haven't been on a course of any kind since their induction so yeah. it's not it's not a case that that what we are talking about is replacing that but what we are talking about is recognizing that there are inefficiencies in our organization there are people that really need our help that unless we change the way we think about the value that we offer our organizations the speed in which we're able to respond and our ability to connect with them in the context of their work yeah. then we're going to continue to make 
peripheral difference, uh, if any at all. But you mentioned there, Alice, about face-to-face, and um, and I do want to talk to you about this because in your LinkedIn profile, um, you said that you enjoy making the most of face-to-face experiences in busy in busy environments. Now. When, when we see and hear so much debate around digital versus face-to-face, one being better than the other, what do you mean by making the most of face-to-face experiences? Um, so I think for me, it's just if you're taking time people out of their workflow um, and they're spending time in a classroom, I think it's just understanding that you should try and use that time to help people to practice or to go through a scenario that's like you were saying just now, David, contextual to the challenge um, Mm. that you're trying to solve. So, you know, work through real life experiences um, and, and that way they can explore some of the theory because they'll have, you know, you have someone in the room that can say, well, have you tried it like this or a colleague that is saying you could try it like this. So they're, they're still learning, but you're learning through, through doing um and i feel like personally um a classroom should be a place that you go to you, know, you can ask questions um you can share with each other you can practice those real life situations but get it as close to the the, the real life situation as possible so that that person mm-hmm. can leave that room and think and feel more equipped with the actual challenge that you're trying to solve um mm-hmm. and then i think it, it's not just letting them leave that room and then not have anything else to support them. It's making sure that you're um, supporting that classroom session with digital uh, resources that they can refer back to when they need it. So you're sustaining that knowledge. Um, I think there's nothing worse than being sat in a room for half the day absorbing tons and tons of information. Mm. Um, And then, you know, it's, it's not going to be, it's not, it might not serve the purpose that you want it to. So that's what I mean by making the most out of those, those um, situations. And I think when you're trying to, it comes back to the data point, when you're trying to understand the impact you're having with that, it's if you are, if you organize a session based on a new, you make it very specific. So, you know, you're, you're understanding what you're trying to get out of that session. Mm. You'll be much more equipped to understand if you've had the impact you want, because you can then, ask the people that came along, do you feel more confident in that area that we were talking about? Um, Mm. Rather than, did you enjoy the session? Because of course they're going to say they enjoyed it. But if you are setting out a very clear objective um, and the the whole kind of um, content of that is is very specific and is trying to tackle that particular challenge, you're going to understand if you're having the impact that you want to. Um, So yeah, I think that's, that's what I meant by that comment. And I think that when we look at the context here as well, we've been talking about leading with digital solutions. So if you've been guiding and supporting people as they've transitioned into your organisation, you've been providing opportunities for them to to connect and share uh, and learn the stories from from more successful colleagues. If you've guided them through their probation to more confident and competent doing uh, by understanding not just the means of communication, but the means of influence, by the time you bring people together for those further conversations, it's not as an isolated event. It's a continuation of the stuff that they've been engaging with when they've really needed your help all the way through. So the the dynamic and the place in which that face-to-face experience sits is very different when you're not struggling for engagement in e-learning, but you are really helping them with what they need uh, and resources. Has Has that been something you've experienced? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, we should be um, we should be thinking about designing for, for performance first. And mm. I think 
I'm always encouraging people in my team to to think in that way and put your energy into understanding when people are experiencing these challenges and how you can support that. And then when you need to get them into a room, you're you're more equipped to make the most out of that situation mm. because you've already designed for when they really when they need it. And then when you've got them back in that room, you can use it to to share those great experiences and create spaces to innovate and yeah. um, to share with each other. And I think that the danger is it's it's hard to think that way because I think it's very common that you get a request from um, the powers that be, someone in the business that says, we're really struggling with this and we need a solution right now. And then, you know, it's very easy to just go, okay, well, we'll put some training on and then we'll get everyone to go along and then we've, we've kind of ticked a box. And it's just it having that bravery and confidence to take a step back and say, you know, we'll put our energy into understanding um, that, that person's journey and, you know, the real moments of need um and we will have much more of an impact doing it that way so i think it's just feeling equipped and confident to have those conversations because i believe that you'll be more impactful if you think about it in that way um mm. but it's hard to convince your stakeholders of that it is sometimes you you've got to pick your battles i love you the do. way you know tracy who's uh, at sky um who's been working in this way in an agile resources first approach now for many years will take yeah. data to people and then she'll she'll have a conversation about what's important to them and there's no yeah. better way of of convincing your stakeholders when you take this uh when you move the conversation from activities mm -hmm. to outcomes um yes. but but you know as I said, she's been doing this for a few years and we've <laughs> got to take our stakeholders uh, with us. But um, mm -hmm. I'm conscious of, uh, of the time. I'd, I'd love to, before we, uh, we, 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 we take a turn to wrap up, I'd love to address some of the mythology uh, and dare I say fantasy uh, around learning technology implementations mm -hmm. that if you build it, configure it right and fill it full of engaging content, then they will come. Yeah. What's been your experience of <laughs> online and digital learning implementations and initiatives? And I mean, the gritty reality. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, well, first of all, that's, it's not true. <laughs> I think it's, you know, if you, if you build it, um, you know, well, actually, no, not if you build it, if you um, put something out there that you think is going to be this like amazing, shiny new tool that's going to solve everything um it's it's not going to work because people in reality just they just don't have the time to stop yeah. what they're doing and go and explore lots of different resources in the hope that they might find something that interests them um it's i think that what you need to be doing is taking a step back and um finding a, a platform that can help you to address the real challenges that people are having um, and make them contextual and recognizable because otherwise another reason that people won't use it is if it doesn't look and feel internal to the organization if it looks completely alien um, they're not going to trust the information it tells you so yeah i've definitely seen this i've, I've been in organizations before that we've implemented a, a new LMS and then I've been brought in and my job is to train people on how to use the LMS. <laughs> <laughs> you just think, oh my you goodness. And to be, <laughs> yeah. Like to be fair, it's, you know, that was a very long time ago, but mm. um, you know, that I just think, why did we do that? Because, you know, I think an LMS um, is something that you would use from an administrative perspective to tick boxes, to monitor that people are, are doing their training and, um, and that's why I, I don't like it 
when people refer to a platform like Loop as an LMS. And mm. I just, I have to tell them like, this is the difference. You have to be so clear um, mm. what the difference between the two types of platforms are. And I just think that you need to look for a platform that does, you know, one thing really well, not mm. the ones that promise everything. Because if you, if you implement it, people won't come. You need to make sure that it feels part of the business that it integrates with your other tools um and uh that you know that it you're able to react and um and to build the platform together as well i think a good partnership is really important because you know too too often you can have a partnership um with a vendor and it's you know you're not it, the platform might not be working for you, but you don't have that connection or relationship that you can grow and, and build it together. So mm. I think that's that's super important as well. And I think going back to when we were talking about um, moving towards using data more effectively, a big thing about us, uh, for us with onboarding Loop um, was making sure that we had that connection with our, we were able to pull that information into our data um, mm. platform. And we've got this, like being part of the people product team is we have, lots of other tools that are being used um, that all do one thing specifically really well. So mm. being able to bring in a tool that does that one thing very well um, and that it talks to the other tools effectively so that mm. it feels seamless and it feels part of the workflow, that's hugely important. If you come in and you bring one that is just like completely alien and doesn't fit in with the rest of the workflow or how you naturally do things, it's not going to work. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think... I've definitely, I've seen it bad and I've seen it good. And uh, yeah, so I, I've definitely learned from, from mistakes. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I wanted to ask that, that that question to you, Alice, because especially with the, with the folks you have, I've worked in four organizations, I think uh, six LMSs, uh, and we couldn't bring, in none of them, we couldn't bring people kicking and screaming to the yeah. LMS unless it was mandatory training. And because we've got it all wrong, people don't want another platform. They don't want generic content, especially in today's day and age. Google will serve them better content than you'd fill an LMS with yeah. if it doesn't solve the real problems that they're yeah. actually facing. So the problem for L&D to solve is, is more specific than that. But as as we do look to, to wrap up this conversation, Alice, and I'd like to just acknowledge with what's going on in, in the world um, uh, right now again, and with your experience and your views of L&D, uh, the profession at large, where do you hope we go from here? Um, so I hope that we can, I think, picking, picking up on the data bit, I think we're still not there yet with data. and. Um, I think that's a huge thing of where we can go from here. Um, we talk about it a lot. Everyone's super excited about it. But actually, I think it can be simpler than we expect it to be or anticipate it to be. And I think it just comes back to, you know, data itself isn't frightening, but it, we just need to get smarter around it and mm. um, ask the right questions and understand what we're trying to influence. Um, and I, I can see us moving towards that, I think, um, and it's definitely helping me being around like engineering teams, thinking in that engineering mindset, treating everything like a product. Data is a huge part of that. And um, I can see L&D moving more towards that area, but I think it's going to be a journey. Um, I think uh, having, having this kind of idea of designing for performance first, but really embracing it, um, 
I think that's where we're going next. I can see now. I think when I first started back at ASOS with Adam Harwood, and we were talking about this type of thing, um, it was it was just it was there was a few people involved in that movement, and now it's just like blown up, and there's loads of people now that are really believe in it. So now it's like actually let's make it happen. Let's start designing for performance. Um, and the only way that we can do that is by kind of just proving ourselves and like having small steps and showing the impact that we're having. So I really think that we are gonna we are gonna do it. And I I, I always use um I always use the the leeches example like mm. you know that the idea that doctors aren't using leeches anymore. So why are we still doing the same things? And yeah. I think I think now people are starting to realise that. And we've got young people coming into um, the industry that are really pushing for this. And I can I, I can see a change, so I think that's where we're moving to for sure. Wonderful. I think that uh, that that's a that's a future that we can uh, all hope to to be moving towards. Uh, Alice, it's been a, a wonderful conversation. Uh, if people want to follow you or find out more, uh, how can they do so? Um, so LinkedIn would be the best place um, mm -hmm. to contact me. Um, or I'm, I'm going to be posting about our sprint that we did this week at Monzo to generate our onboarding, um, remote onboarding experience. So do check that out. And I just love having conversations with people. I could talk about this stuff for hours. So mm -hmm. just, uh, yeah, um, ping me over a, a message on LinkedIn and, and let's chat. Wonderful. And I'm so glad you mentioned the uh, um, the. Uh, the blogs that you're going to be writing on the, on your progress on the induction, yeah. I think that that will be hugely valuable to uh, to the profession, to those folks who either uh, optimistically or, or otherwise are considering their role in uh, in learning development as it stands right now. But if I can be so bold, Alice, I think that uh, that you doing so uh, will be showing the way for many folks. Uh, Alice, thank you very much for being a guest on the Learning and Development Podcast. Oh, thank you so much, David. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you.